The Discerning Geeks Portal's Babylon 5 spin-off podcast was a dream given form. Its goal, to review each episode of Babylon 5, a show about officers, telepaths, criminals, and ambassadors, humans and aliens wrapped in five seasons of storytelling, standing tall amongst the rest. It can be a classic show, but it's our lasting best hope, for science fiction. These are our reviews of the original Babylon 5 TV show. The year is 2022. The name of the podcast is Discerning Lurkers Portal. Welcome back, Discerning Lurkers, to another exciting episode of the Discerning Lurkers Portal, a Babylon 5 podcast, where each week, my friend Todd and I discuss Babylon 5 and new episodes of Babylon 5. Todd, how you doing this week? Uh, okay, sort of. The, the week could be better, but tonight is pretty good because we're podcasting about Babylon 5, and this is a particularly good episode. Yay! Uh, yeah, I know you're excited about this episode. We've kind of been talking about this one for a little while, so I knew this would be exciting. So let's get right into it. This week we're going to talk about the episode Death Walker, and I've got the rundown here. A Dilgar war marshal and war criminal, Ja'adur, arrives at Babylon 5 carrying a discovery that could change the future of all the races on board Babylon 5. In the meantime, Kosh employs Talia Winters for a strange negotiation with a bizarre, funny hat-wearing figure. Did I miss anything? Uh, no, no. <laughs> That's the major basic plots. Yeah. But why don't you give them the uh, kind of the behind the scenes stuff for this while we're in Blue Sector? Okay. Like a lot of season one, stuff was filmed out of order. So this is the ninth episode to air, but the 13th produced. Um, the original air date was April 20th, 1994. So this episode might come out. Uh, in, in a couple weeks, but at the time that we're recording, this episode is approaching its 28th anniversary. It's hard to believe it's that old. It was written by Lawrence G. Dottilio, or just Larry Dottilio for short. Uh, I think he was the script supervisor for the first two seasons, or maybe first season and a half of Babylon 5. And it was directed by Bruce Seth Green. Uh, this is the second of seven episodes written by Larry Dottilio and the third of four episodes directed by Bruce Seth Green. Nice, nice. We've got a lot to cover, so we're going to fly on and through and get to our red sector where we'll go ahead and talk about the story a little bit. Please watch your step. This is a low gravity area. Please hold handrails at all times. Leaving blue sector. Now entering red sector. First off, though, initial reaction. What did you think of this episode? This is probably my favorite episode of season one. And I think at one time it might have been my second favorite episode of season one. And if I am remembering correctly, my my number one favorite at one time was probably something that nobody could have predicted. <laughs> uh, we, we might talk about that later because it comes later in the season. Uh, but I do love this episode. Now it's definitely got a few issues and a little bit of age on it, but I just love the story behind it. Everything about the Dilgar and Jadur subplot is really well done. Uh, and one thing that might be holding back this episode, because I can forgive some of the outdated special effects for the ships that we may talk about later, but that whole Abbott storyline <laughs> or, uh, or uh, a bud or however you pronounce his name and Kosh and, and Ty winners. Uh, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's, it's got some issues and, uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that later. But it's one thing that kind of holds this episode back from the greatness of some of the episodes that we get in seasons two through four. Yeah. And a little bit in season five. Um, no, I like this episode. I, I've noticed that I like episodes more when we actually get more time and, and some time, strangely enough, in the council chambers, you know, mm -hmm. when we yeah. were actually doing the diplomacy stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh to me, it's just, that's fun. It's one of the creative kind of cool things that, that goes on in Babylon 5. And we get a couple, we get a little bit of that more here. We get some 
behind the scenes kind of negotiating and, and we kind of see some of the backstabbing and, and the politicking, but it was just kind of fun. We got the, to see quite a few of the other races and the non-aligned worlds and things like that. And, I, and so that was a lot of fun. I'm also with you. The, the Abbott guy it was a little strange mm-hmm. and, and I'm not even sure. And I guess we'll have to talk about it in the spoiler section. If anything actually ever really comes of that, it, it just seemed kind of pointless. <laughs> like So, so yeah. Yeah. I don't think anything ever does. It was probably supposed to. So if you want me to go into details on, on the difference, uh, yeah, we can say that for later. Yeah. We'll talk about that in the spoilers zone, but, um, yeah. So what else, what else is going on in this episode that we need to talk about? Uh, I mean, we well, get a little bit of history, I think, mm-hmm. right. Cause we, we find out that there was this race called the Dilgars that were apparently very conquering warlike. Um, uh, we know that this Jahador was a, uh, kind of like a scientist, like made kind of like weapons of mass destruction. It was just considered very awful, but what else? What's, what's some of the like meat that we really need to take out of this episode? Well, like you said, it covers a little bit of history. So Jador mentions that it was Earth that tilted the balance against her people, uh, Earth helping out the the League and the Dilgar War. So the Dilgar were mostly against the League, also somewhat against the Narns. Uh, but it was Earth helping out the Dilgars, or, or excuse me, the uh, League of Nine Worlds with the Dilgar that kind of accelerated Earth as a power. Uh, so I guess the analogy is supposed to be maybe America in world war one, yeah. world war two. You're, you're the history buff. So you can tell me whether that, that would be accurate or not. No, that's, uh, that's very true. It's kind of like that sleeping giant, you know, mm-hmm. earth became a, a major player on the field. Um, just like in world war one and world war two, you know, with, uh, kind of the U S being, getting involved in those, those conflicts really changed the tide. So. And I'm glad that you like this episode because I was listening to a couple other podcasts recently uh, that that covered this episode, and I don't think they're as thrilled about it as we are. Uh, They kind of say, okay, we get it. They're space Nazis and she's space Hitler. We get it. It, And I'm like, there's so much more to it than that. (laughs) Uh, There's there's so many neat little uh, moral and ethical twists in this. Uh, but anyway, so getting more into some of the world building, um, and this is, I'm kind of going to order my notes. So it may not be in the, the, the best transition, but like you say, we kind of need to get moving. So I'm just going to kind of go in order here. So Chankar is a blood oath among the Narns and it's passed down through various family members. So we get the explanation, explanation of that from Natoth. And I think, I think Jakar mentioned at some point that he's even got several Chankars. Jador says the Mimbari windswords know that Sheridan has a hole in his mind. And we, it, it, like everybody in season one, knows <laughs> that, that Sinclair has a hole in his mind. So even the windswords know. And it, it, yeah, granted, it might make a little bit of sense that they would know. Lanier also says that the windswords are the most militant of all the warrior clans. So even though there's an entire warrior cast amongst the Mimbari, and so it kind of makes sense that they're going to be militant, they are the military. Uh, these guys are kind of the the, the tip of that. And so it might make sense that this particular group would be the ones that might uh, harbor Jador. Okay. Um, oh, you were also talking about the council meeting. I agree. I, I like the council meetings. It kind of gives us that rich tapestry of, of seeing all of these different alien races, even though they're, they're sitting at these little cramped tables in this room that should not be that small. We still get uh, that there's more going on with Babylon five than just the the five main races. Uh, But I think this is only the second time that we see a significant council meeting. uh, And it might be the first that involved the league of nine aligned worlds, or at least this much, they might've just been kind of background characters before. Uh, And then I got a few more points, but I'll let you, Take a turn. You know, I, I think that was one of my favorite parts, and and even the way that they handled the the council meeting, you could tell that the especially the the major races were coming with their 
their own agendas. The really great best example was like the Narn. It was like, we're willing to support you and say, yes, that they're, you know, that she should, but only if she comes to our, <laughs> comes to us first mm-hmm. and we can yeah. get the goods off of her before anybody else can. <laughs> and it was like, it was very political. So, so that was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And, and what else you got? Hang on. Okay, sorry, a little bit of liquid went down the wrong hole there. Uh, oh, uh, that's okay, take your time. <laughs> so uh, this episode, I think, is the first appearance of several vessels, including the Drazi Sunhawk, uh, Vree Saucers, and the Iksha Battle Globe. And I want to make sure I pronounce that right, because <clears throat> I could have sworn that I saw somewhere that it was spelled Ipsha with a P instead of Iksha with a K. Uh, but then just in the last couple of days, I've been able to review my notes a little bit and I looked something up online and realized that it, there might be a distinction there. I think the Iksha are the ones that are actually mentioned this episode and the Ipsha are maybe a race that was mentioned in one of the non-canon books. Oh. Um, and I think it's a little strange that those are the three types of, of vessels that we see, but two of those races are not ones that we see the actual aliens for. And during the council meetings, it's mostly the, um, I, I can't remember if, she's, if she has a name or not, but it, she's an uh, Abai ambassador, but we don't see one of her ships. So I think that also adds to the uh, the tapestry of the League of Non-Online Worlds that some of them might be more vocal, but some of them might have the 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 ships and the weapons to actually back up a show of force. And it's, so it's not necessarily a, a one-to-one relationship there. I kind of thought it was cute that we had little saucers because it's like, you have to have some kind of aliens using saucers or else we wouldn't have that in our mythos, you know, now <laughs> where people are abducted by the saucers. Um, so yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that the Vree, we will actually see one or two Vree later on, and they are the classic aliens that we usually see. Um, the grays and the greens yeah, or whatever yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The grays and the greens with the, the, yeah. the little skinny guys with the big black eyes. That's <laughs> it. That's what the Vree are. And that's why they have saucers. Oh, yep. Uh, this also may be the first time that we see Vorlons take an interest in the younger races, despite all of their claims that they're not that interested. This is true. Because you notice they didn't go, uh, Kosh did not go to the council meeting. Yep. He just didn't, he just, it just wasn't that important. But then later on, it was important enough for him to waltz in yep. and some of their comrades to, to blow your door away and for him to just drop a line and walk right back out. Um, I also think it's a bit of world building that you don't hear after that anybody's like anybody uh, making a fuss, like no, like the legal online worlds, they were very vocal before, but you don't see them fussing at Kosh. And later on when Garibaldi and Sinclair are talking, they're talking about, Oh, Kosh has been a busy boy today, but they don't say, yeah. And, and so-and-so are, are filing a, a complaint against him and earth is going to file a complaint. Nobody's filing complaints against the Vorlons. They get to do whatever they want. Uh, that's true and yeah I, let's i do want to talk about that a little bit because yeah we get to see the the resolution and yes this is a spoiler for this episode but we kind of you know that doesn't go into our spoilers as we're talking about the bigger picture behind the scenes stuff but yeah the voilons show up at the end and kind of end all this debate when they just blow the ship out of the sky ending that and you know, another big part of the story is that this discovery that Jahador has done has got created is a serum that is going to make the races last. Basically, makes my live forever. It rejuvenates their bodies, and and that's why they thought she would probably be dead or much older when they get her on the ship. But she's actually in good shape and her body's regenerating from the injuries because she gets the crap beat out of her at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, another good part of this episode, Natoth is a, a fun character that I think mm-hmm. gets underutilized. Yeah. <laughs> she's, I mean, it's just a great character. And, and, you know, especially in this episode, we get some, some pretty good scenes with, and she's the one that just attacks uh, Jador, the Deathwalker, 
um, right off the bat, the very beginning of the episode, and just beats the crap out of her. But we find out that, you know, she's created this basically a fountain of use serum serum that uh, all the races want. They're going to fight over it. They're going to, you know, that's part of what's going on. Everybody wants this technology so that they can live forever. Yeah. Then the Vorlons show up at the very end, blast her out of the sky. And it wasn't for any war crimes. It wasn't for any of this. Kosh just basically is like, yeah, you're not ready for that. (laughs) Yeah. You're not ready for immortality. And it was like, wow. Okay. So didn't have anything. He he would, like you said, he wouldn't even be bothered to show up for the council meeting, but he was there to, to blast or the, the Voilons were there to, to blast her out of the sky just because it would have given them, you know, immortality and their races weren't ready for it yet. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, I was going to say something, but I lost my train of thought. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, shoot. Yeah. Sorry. I lost it. Okay. Well, part of our red sector is our, our favorite moments in this episode. And actually, that was probably my favorite moment. It, it's very much wrapped up in that little end scene. All the races are gathered around watching the screen as this ship is about to go through the portal and go to Earth to deliver this serum and the Vorline come out and just blast it. I do have a nitpick on that, too. But uh, but that was my favorite moment. Okay. Uh, what about you? I don't know if I have a favorite moment. Well, actually, I know. I think I know why you're asking because I do have one moment in in uh, in my notes listed under favorite moments, but it's not my number one favorite moment. I have so many favorite moments when it comes to the big reveals. I, in fact, I would probably have to say it's when Jadora gets her final speech where it's just dripping oh, yeah. with evil. Yeah. And I've oh, got yeah. that quote in green sector. Uh, but one neat little moment is when Ivanova convinces the Drazi, the Vri and the Iksha <laughs> to debate who has the best claim to Jador and whoever is the winner gets to attack first. It's great because they're arguing who should attack first, which means nobody is attacking. And so <laughs> it's, it's this nice little stall tactic and Sinclair calls it creative. So uh, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I wanted you to talk about that because that, that was another favorite moment of mine. I thought that was really – he kind of tells – can you stall him? And she's like, uh, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and then she does. She comes a way of, of stalling him by having a fight with each other about who gets to attack. Um, do we need to cover anything else in red sector before moving on to the green sector. Well, the only other thing is that Sinclair claims that Vorlons are leery of telepaths. And I thought that was weird considering what we learn about telepaths later on. And I can't help but wonder if that is kind of misdirection. Are Vorlons truly leery or do they just act leery because they're trying to hide something? Um, And if you want me to explain that question in spoiler zone i can't yeah we'll get back to that in the spoiler zone because yeah i mean that's the subplot right he he hires talia winters to do these negotiations um with this guy in the end the guy takes something out of his head and hands it to gosh and a lot of it really didn't make any sense. <laughs> so I don't have a no. whole lot more to say about it. Some of the interactions were funny. It was almost like they were talking in code, like over what would be a, a, a monitored communication. You know, the green sky is full of stars and the, the chairs against the door. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. So, um, the whole interaction was kind of bizarre, but he did hire Talia as a telepath to be a part of the the negotiations. And I think we kind of got the fact that he was using her for something in that more than needing her to scan for the, to tell her the truth or anything that he was, he had hired her, but he was actually trying to get something from her. Right. That either that or right? he either that or he was trying to scan her to see if she would be suitable to be used for something later. Mm, okay. That that's what I'm thinking. Well yeah, let's go ahead and get on into green sector. So we'll load up on our tube 
and uh, shoot over to Green Sector where we'll talk more about the characters and character developments and our favorite quotes, things like that. So now entering Green Sector. Where do we want to start here? Start us off with our like kind of first appearances, things like that for some of our characters. Okay, yeah, I'll try to zip through the logistics so we can get to more interesting things. So this is the first of three appearances, all season one, of, and I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Aki Aleong as Senator Hidoshi. Mm. It's the second appearances each of Lanier and Natoth. And uh, Natoth, you know, you were talking about the ferocity of her earlier. Uh, part of the reason I was distracted, I was trying to look for a, a photo I had with her at Space City Con in January 2014. Uh, because I wanted to see how big she was because she's kind of a striking woman. Uh, she's also, uh, I don't know if she's still acting, but, but I think for a while and maybe still she is an agent or a publicist or something like that. So she kind of manages people. Uh, and I know at... Uh, at that con, and in fact, the one I was at just a few, uh, few months before that one, at both of them, uh, somebody didn't do the the sound setup right, and and as soon as they did, like she was up moving speakers around, so she's a very take charge person. And in that photo, she is about two or three inches taller than me, so she's a very striking, commanding woman. And so, yeah, I it, I think it really fit that she had that one scene where she was able to to show so much ferocity. Uh, but anyway, it's also the fifth appearance of Mark Hendrickson, uh, the second time as a Drazi. Uh, he is Vakara Shock, uh, the the pilot or captain of the Drazi Sunhawk. Uh, Jadur is played by Sarah Douglas, who also played Ursa in Superman 2. Ambassador Calica is played by Robin Curtis, and she is known for playing Savick from Star Trek 3 and 4. Uh, but I think not Star Trek fought or do I have that wrong? Is it? Yeah, no, that's right. She was in three and four. Uh, somebody else played uh, Savic in Star Trek two. Abbott is played by Kosi Costa. Uh, and I have a little bit of trivia later on, on who was supposed to play the character and ambassador number one. Uh, I'm not sure which ambassador that was supposed to be, but that was played by Robert Dottilio, uh, who also played Norg from episode three, Born of the Purple. Uh, I mentioned that this was written by Larry Dottilio, and apparently he likes to get his brother Robert Dottilio to play little minor roles in the episodes that he writes. Yeah, I will say that so far, kind of watching you know the episodes that we've watched, I think we're like nine or ten in to season one. Lanier and Atoth need to be in more. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. We will definitely uh, get more of Lanier later. Uh, Natoth is not in a whole lot of episodes. And I actually did the statistics on that the other day for another reason. I think it was to try to gauge how often certain people were in episodes compared to Bester. Uh, and I think she is in fewer than 12 episodes, which I think is the count for Bester. Uh, And one of those is much later. And I don't even think she talks in that episode. Two of them are technically when she's played by a different actress. So yeah, she is only in something like seven, eight or nine season one episodes. Oh, wow. Okay. So let's talk about our, our kind of character development here. You know, we, we've already mentioned kind of Natas' reaction to Deathwalker. You know, as soon as she sees this person, she knows who it is and attacks. And it takes kind of everybody else a little bit of digging to, to find out. But I think it was kind of cool that while she had to be officially kind of admonished, there never was really anybody that was like, she's going to have to be kicked off the station, that kind of thing. <laughs> you could tell she got the slap on the wrist. Yeah. And especially after they figured out who it was that she had attacked. Yeah. I think in your notes, you had that it was very reminiscent of Delenn's attack on soul hunter. And, and it kind of was, you know, there, there are these characters apparently in the universe that are so heinous that people just like are ready just to kill them. On, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get ready to kill them on site. Um, and and these two figures have already been on Babylon Five, so yeah. And with Natoth, it was for a different purpose. It was for revenge. Where with the land, it was almost out of fear. It's almost like she was afraid of the Soul Hunter, and she was. Mm-hmm. But instead of like running, 
her fight or flight syndrome or fight or flight uh, reaction went the opposite direction and she was ready to fight, but it was, it was still kind of a fear thing. Um, And Jakar here is kind of still in season one mode because uh, I don't think this is a a huge spoiler. I'll I'll be really vague, but you know, we do see a more enlightened Jakar in, in later seasons, but in season one, he's still, aggressive and wanting to strike out against uh his race's enemies uh so yeah we see a little bit of duplicity in him where like you said he admonishes her publicly but behind the scenes he's ready to try to take advantage of this situation uh and he mentions he's got several shankars himself but he's wanting to find some kind of compromise where okay we might be able to let you have at this woman eventually but we need to get something out of her first so he's still looking for that advantage that he can use against other races awesome awesome you know i mentioned that there are all kinds of uh moral and ethical questions in this episode and there's like some of the themes that we see repeated in babylon 5 are responsibilities, choices, and consequences. And there are all kinds of choices and consequences going on in this episode. So like Jakar is trying to get something out of Jador and she kind of acts like she might be willing to give it to him. He's like, great. Oh, I've I've had this victory. But the (laughs) trade-off of that is a consequence. And that is that Jador wants Natath's head on a platter within an hour. And of course, Jakar is disgusted by this notion. And so, uh, so he doesn't give in to Jadur after all, and he doesn't get what he wants out of her. Uh, so, it, and that's also an example of just how kind of dripping with evil Jadur is. Yeah, this is definitely an evil person. And and I know you've got the, the quote later. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Hitler was the the, the comparison that you kind of made, or or yeah. one of the other podcasts. Yeah, made. Space Hitler, and, yeah. Um, and and that's not too far. I, I would say you know um, that's that's not too far off. So no, but I wouldn't reduce it to that. Yeah, I no. think that's an oversimplification. We get a lot of nice uh, uh, levels here. Yeah. Uh, and then one other thing, uh, there's a kind of a clunky line of dialogue that comes from Garibaldi, uh, about prayer that implies that Sinclair is religious and Garibaldi is not, uh, it confirms that Garibaldi is either an outright atheist or at the very least agnostic. So, uh, the line of dialogue, like I said, is clunky, but at least does give us a little bit of character development. Mm-hmm. So do you have anything else or do you want to get into quotes? Yeah, I think that's what I had for that. So yeah, let's get into some quotes because, uh, and we may have to take turns because it looks like some of them may be the same, <laughs> which is not surprising. Yeah. So let me start off and, I, and I'll kind of do this one. Uh, delicious irony, don't you think, that those who curse us will have to thank us for the rest of time. And this was... Uh, Jador, she's talking about to Sinclair about this serum that she's developed where they're going to be able to live forever now, an immortality potion kind of thing. He's kind of like, well, what, what, what's your angle here? And he's trying to figure out. And she's kind of giving him a cursory look at, at some of what she's about, that she's trying to kind of still create a legacy for her race and her as a part of that race. Um, and so, you know, even though that all these races were talking about all the evil things that they did, wiping out entire planets where the people and experimenting on them and all the, the, the nasty stuff that they would have to come back and actually thank them for the rest of their, of time for giving them this immortality. Um, and I thought that was a really, really awesome quote. Go ahead. I, yeah, I, I, I think it's awesome to do too. the other. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I, I think that's awesome too. I've I've got it down, and again, I think it's one of those things that shows that there is a consequence to to all kinds of choices that are being made in this episode. Now, am I remembering correctly that that quote comes somewhat early in the episode, like maybe around the middle or something? Like yeah. it's not butted right up against the quote I'm about to do, is it? Correct. Yeah, it, it's it's right. quite a bit before, kind of when they first discover what this serum is. 
But then, yeah, you know, the lead up for the other quote, of course, is she kind of gives a little bit more behind the scenes of what's going right. on. Right. So your your quote is kind of part A of her motivation. And the quote I'm about to do is, is part B. So it's a long quote. So let me take a sip more. And hopefully not choke on it this time. Okay. Yeah. So Jador says, you and the rest of your kind take blind comfort in the belief that we are monsters, that you could never do what we did. The key ingredient in the anti-agapic cannot be synthesized. It must be taken from living beings. For one to live forever, another one must die. You will fall upon one another like wolves. It will make what we did pale in comparison. The billions who live forever will be a testament to my work, and the billions who are murdered to buy that immortality will be the continuance of my work. Not like us, you will become us. That's my monument, Commander. And then, rightly so, Sinclair just says, get her the hell off my station. <laughs> because yeah. th- that, I, I usually don't like, or I wouldn't oh, say I don't like, uh, but, you know, sometimes there are just mustache twirling villains that are just evil for the sake of being evil. And then you've got more complex characters. Uh, villains yep. that might have more to them than that. And usually the ones that have more to them than that are the better ones because uh, they're more interesting. And you have all those levels. I, there's something about this episode. I like that. She's evil for the sake of being evil because we get all of those levels of how and why she's evil and how she actually kind of enjoys being evil. And like I said, how every choice has a consequence and so on. And, so, and there's so much irony. I mean, your quote even had her starting off saying delicious irony. Yeah. Uh, so this episode does very well, a character that is evil for the sake of being evil, but really makes it worth it. And, and so I just love how she drops that bomb on the end saying, you're going to become us. You're, you're going to be just as bad as we are. Just wait and see. And it's like that, that's her, that's her legacy and she's okay with it. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just done so well. Well, and I thought it was really cool the way that, they demonstrated that pretty much all the races, except for the Vorlon, as evil as this person was, and they knew that they this person is evil, they were willing to embrace that evil for the benefit of what they may have had to promise. And it just shows kind of, to me, you know, as a person of faith, you know, that that's kind of a standing thing that we're as people almost always willing to embrace evil when it gives us something in the end, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and give us that good. Um, you know, it, it talks about the, um, oh, what was the, the white, um, I forget the name of the, the, the wind swords. I said white wind mm-hmm. swords, you know, had first had been kind of hiding or already, yeah. For a while so that she could come up with this, this thing that, that you know, she'd been li- protected by them. And then the Narns, like I said, it's like, oh yeah, well, 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 as long as you come to us, we're going to, you know, we'll be good at earth, you know, Hey, yeah, no, you can't kill her. You can't trial her, try her. You can't let the, the non-aligned worlds have her. You've got to let her come to us. And then even in the end, Sheridan, basically his big, I'm sorry, sorry. Sinclair um, uses the knowledge of what she's created to even get the non-aligned worlds to back off. It's like, oh, but, you know, she's created this thing. And and they're all, even though they were the ones with the atrocities against them, we're like, oh, well, we, we can back up a little bit then. And we can accept that this person's okay for a little while because of what they're producing. Uh, I thought it was a really neat plot um, with all of that going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then of course you mentioned the whole thing about how the wind swords were sheltering them. Well, the Minbari, you know, they're usually more honorable than this, but they're yeah. sheltering this horrible person because even they 
couldn't resist him this temptation to get her research and they basically had to say uh no we don't want want her tried we're because they can't stand the shame and then you got poor lanier who has to do this because for some random reason uh delin is off the station so he has to deliver this bad news and you can tell just how but how much it sucks for him to have to be yeah. the one to deliver that news and he he feels so much shame for his race for having to to do that and then on top of everything else, we've already hinted at the fact that then the Vorlons just come in there and just zap her. <laughs> and, uh, and it's because he says they are, you are not ready for immortality. So you've got all these races who are kind of sort of doing bad things for good reasons. But then you've got Kosh who's just like, no, what she's got, you guys are not ready for. And I'm just going to take it. We're just going to take it upon ourselves to just say, we're just going to put an end to this. Yeah. Which I can't help but wonder if maybe that's why he wasn't the council meeting. Was he making arrangements or is he just like, it doesn't matter what they say. Let them waste their, waste their time. <laughs> I kind of felt like it was. He was kind of like, yeah, let them squabble and fight and vote. And in the end, this is what's going to happen. We don't even worry about it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, I had a couple more quotes. I think you may have mentioned this last episode, but this is the a section where Kosh He's talking with Talia Winters, and she's like, okay, you've got me listening in on these this crazy negotiation, and you guys are just throwing gibberish back and forth, and he's not even got anything in his head. His mind's completely blank. Um, and Kosh says something about, you know, you want understanding. And he says, understanding is a three-edged sword. And so we know that that's kind of a – an important thing, you know, kind of mm-hmm. a, with our last episode, uh, go back and listen to that. And the sky full of stars episode where we talk about that quote some there, if you haven't heard it. Um, and I think it'll come into play even more in the future, but that was another quote that I had. Um, what else did you have? Or well, we have? yes, there, there is a future episode where somebody uses that same quote and it's not Kosh. It's actually a human character who uses that same uh, quote, but then follows up by saying, your side, their side, the truth, which are the three edges of the, of the sword. Awesome. Uh, and then a little bit more about Kosh. Uh, so Ty Winters is after it's revealed that Abbott is this vicar. And uh, she says, what is he and what was on the data crystal? So actually, she doesn't know what he is yet. Yeah. Uh, that That is revealed later on. But she does see that he's got like exposed brain and, and machinery parts and stuff like that. Uh, so Kosh says, reflection, surprise, terror for the future. And that's just more of Kosh being Kosh, just being cryptic, yeah. where it's like he gives an answer, he gives a response, but it's not necessarily an answer. And I don't know if, this is, yeah, I think this, we'll go ahead and kind of discuss this just a second. It's not really a spoiler, but it kind of felt like when he's saying, you know, reflection, surprise, terror, that that's what he was getting from Talia Winters and the other guy was recording it on like a USB drive. And then he's giving it to Kosh for him to use in the future for something. Is that how I, I understood that whole scene playing out or am I kind of over extrapolating? Yeah, sort of. And it's, it's super cryptic and I'm not sure that the correct answer to this exists anywhere, but JMS's head, but there again, it was Larry Dottilio that wrote this episode. So I don't know whether he knew or if, or if it was written to be so cryptic because even the author didn't know, I don't know. Um, but I I'm guessing that Talia winners was being groomed for a purpose to be used later by the Vorlons. And they were probably testing her and probably wanting to scan her, to figure out if she had anything that could be used against her or anything that would it like any kind of trauma that would keep her from being used for a certain purpose later. Um, and this was probably their method for doing that using Abbott. Okay. Okay. Well, I know we've spent a little bit of time in the green sector. We always do. Uh, is there anything that we've missed? Mm, I don't think so. All right, so now we get to load up and head to our brown sector. Now entering brown sector. And 
this is where we're going to talk about our nitpicks, dislikes, and the bad stuff. I've only got two, um, so what you got? Okay, obviously the whole Abbott thing <laughs> and him being a vicar, which is a play on words of VCR, as if anybody in 2258 <laughs> would remember what a VCR is uh, and still call stuff uh things that are related to, to VCRs. Why not Diver for DVR, which of course in the real world, DVRs weren't existed, didn't exist yet. But even now DVRs are kind of outdated. You know, usually uh, a DVR, you might still be able to find DVRs and even TiVos that like are boxes that actually record stuff. But usually it's streaming services that have some kind of box on their own site that can record the stuff for you and you just access it through your TV. You know, surely there had to be some kind of better way of coming up with something that would record thoughts and then a better thing to call it. Yeah, that, that does kind of date this episode a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and we talked about it kind of in, in the beginning. I think you kind of mentioned that that whole scene kind of pulls this episode down a little bit. It just seemed really out of place like it in it didn't feel like it was going anywhere um, and I'm not even sure if in the long run it does go anywhere so we'll have to check that out in their, our spoiler section once we get to that um, but yeah it just felt weird and the other I actually had that same nitpick and the other one that I had and this this is really really just a when I talk about a nitpick this is a, a real nitpick but I noticed it the first time I watched this episode and I watched it again and it stood out even more. Uh, we get the whole scene at the end where the, the Vorlons come through the gate and destroy the ship. Kosh kind of says that they're not ready for immortality. And, and I thought that was really cool. The nitpick that I have is it took two shots. They miss on their first shot. They come through. Yeah, it's point yeah. blank range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> And they yeah. miss on the first shot. <laughs> and it was like, what, why would they? What? I mean, it's a complete surprise attack. It's not like the ship moved out of the way or anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like I said, that's a total nit. When it comes to nitpicks, that's a nitpick. But it just seemed kind of odd that it took them two shots to, <laughs> to hit the ship and kill it um, when they come through the gate. So did you have anything else? Yes. Since you mentioned that moment, I've got another nitpick that is not even in my notes. Um, I was rewatching it today and you've got this room full of people who are basically just watching her ship leave. And I'm not sure that's logical in the first place because it's like, it's a ship. Mm -hmm. She's leaving. What, what's the big deal? Uh, But they're observing, I guess, because they want to make sure she's gets where she's going uh, or something. I I don't know. But they're watching it from a little TV screen that's on the wall. And it's it's at eye level, which means anybody who is standing behind anybody in that room can't see <laughs> the TV in the first place. So either it needed to be on a bigger screen TV, which probably would have required special effects that they probably didn't want to pay for, or it would require the set that they get later on where it's actually an observation dome and there's actually a big window to where you can see out of the station. But they, I guess they didn't have that set yet. Uh, so it's, it's another thing that kind of not only dates the episode, but shows the low budget and, and how they didn't have all the station kind of figured out yet. No, I'm with you. I kind of thought about that too. It's like, why is everybody just randomly? And the set is very bare. It almost looks like they're just standing in a hallway. (laughs) like like all the all the ambassadors everybody's just decided that they're going to stay in one hallway and watch the ship leave it's like i think they would have all probably watched from their own rooms from you know a central command or 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 some kind of area but yeah that was kind of weird so um i'm with you on that well, let's load up and get to... Oh, wait, well, I did have one other super nitpicky oh, okay. nitpick. And, and this is like almost like a continuity thing. But Garibaldi enters MedLab empty-handed, and he shows Sinclair some information on Jador and talks about the uniform and the ejector from her bag. And, and he actually says, and we went through her stuff, but he rolls her stuff 
on a cart over from another little corner of med lab. <laughs> so I'm thinking, how did you go through her stuff if it was if you came from somewhere else and her stuff is here? So did he go through her stuff while he was here in med lab and then go somewhere else for another reason and then came back just to talk to Sinclair because he rolled rolled the stuff up? Or did he actually go through her stuff somewhere else? And if so, why was it on a cart in med lab? I, I don't know. It's just one of those weird little things. It's like, hey, yeah, we went through her stuff. Let me roll it over here. We went through her stuff earlier, but we brought it back and it's on this cart. I, I don't know. It was just kind of weird. Yeah. Okay, now let's let's go ahead and move forward. I know this episode is running a little bit long for our listeners, but uh, bear with us. It's a good meaty episode. We knew we had a lot to discuss. Hang out with us. We're we're getting to it. Uh, we're headed into our final section, the gray sector. Now entering gray sector. Beware of spoiler zone at end of sector. And this is where we'll talk about some of the behind the scenes stuff. We'll each give our rating, and then we'll take a little soft break so that we can get into the spoilers. So let's go ahead and talk about some behind-the-scenes stuff. This is where Todd always brings some pretty cool stuff out from the, the woodwork and things that he's he knows and from books that he's read. So tell us what about, about this episode. Okay, yeah, and most of this information will come, I think, from the script book, uh, JMS released some, some books where he did the scripts and then some explanations on how he wrote the scripts. And they also came out with a series of those same script books called Other Voices for the ones where he didn't write the episodes. And I'm realizing now that in my notes, uh, some of the information from the script book and some of the information from the Babylon file by Andy Lane, uh, a kind of unauthorized guide to Babylon file, both have some of the same information. So it kind of overlaps. So I, I, I won't have to repeat stuff. Okay, so it was Larry Dottilio who came up with a lot of the names, home planets, and appearances of the League of Non-Aligned Worlds races. He wrote a 13,000-word Bible on the topic. And I actually remember uh, back in the day uh, when there were CD-ROMs, you could actually buy a CD-ROM that had information on Babylon 5 races. And it really did give all kinds of information on their biology, uh, their home worlds, like the the name and climate of their home worlds. And uh, I think maybe a little bit on language, uh, but it would also give what kind of government each world had. And Looking back on it, I guess most, if not all, the information probably came from Larry Dottilio since he wrote this this Bible on the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey is a sci-fi and fantasy fan and was enthusiastic to take the role of Abbott. He was he was originally cast for the role, but then all of a sudden he became unavailable, and so they had to get that other guy to play Abbott. Uh, if Gilbert Godfrey had played it, it, I think he would have given more life to the character, but it was still kind of a weird character in the first place. Yeah. Uh, Larry felt that the strength of Sarah Douglas's acting as Jadur was in her or uh, Sarah Douglas's acting in other roles was in her eyes. So he kind of regrets the fact that taking this role, she had to put those big contact lenses in her eyes. He kind of felt that it kind of blocked some of her uh, best performance, but I, I thought her, her performance still came through pretty well. Yeah. That was great. Um, things that he particularly liked from his script was the concept of Sean Carr. A stroke from the brush does not guarantee art from the bristles. I forgot about that, but that is another great Kosh quote. Ivanova's method for stalling the attack and Sinclair's grin of approval for it. And then Sinclair's, uh, well, actually, uh, the last couple lines of dialogue from Sinclair and Garibaldi, where Sinclair says, God works in mysterious ways. Garibaldi says, yeah, but he's a con man compared to the Vorlon. I actually don't like that. So he found that one of his favorite things from the script. I, I think it wasn't a, a great set of lines to, to end on. And then oddly enough, something that Larry did not like was Jadur's last speech, which I love and which I think puts a great cap on the episode. He actually didn't like it because uh, it's actually something that Joe Straczynski added himself. And I think it's the best part of the episode. So I think it was great judgment on JMS's yeah. part to, to put that in. And I think, my, according to my notes, Larry even objected to it, but JMS just overruled him and, and kept it in. I think that was the right thing to do. Yeah, I think so. That was that was 
phenomenal that whole last <laughs> speech that uh, that we had in our quote section so what else what other stuff i see in your notes jovian sunspot <laughs> talk yes. to me about jovian sunspot okay that, that is something that uh, some people pick on quite a bit for larry detilio scripts he likes putting on a proper adjective on the front of things so in this episode a jovian sunspot gets mentioned also on ontarian pickles uh, he likes to put some kind of alien adjective on the on the beginning of things like that, which sounds very Star Trek like. Yeah. I think it's something that uh, Joe Straczynski kind of avoids in some of his future scripts. And who knows, he might even be guilty of it, too. But I've, I've heard several podcasters kind of pick on Larry Dottilio for for doing stuff like that. Uh, now, according to my notes, apparently Abbott's recording of Talia Winters does come up again in a future season two episode. I don't remember what that episode is. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, different countries have different things that they're a little bit uh, squeamish or prudish about. Uh, obviously, in America, it's not violence. But in the UK, they actually cut several seconds of Natath's attack on Jador for being too violent. Okay. And it's weird because you don't even see it. It's not like she's stabbing her. She's punching her. And I don't even think we see blood or anything like that. But for some reason, it was just, I guess, the just the sheer ferocity of, of Natak that, uh, that did it for him. Okay. Well, this is where we've got to rate this episode. And I like to ever so often just kind of remind our listeners that we rate on our Psycore scale. So a little bit different. The top marks are a 12. The lowest is a 1. Um, so your your Psychor rating is how we equate our ratings for these episodes. Todd, what you got for Deathwalker? Okay. Well, like I said, this is my probably my favorite season 1 episode. So it's probably not that big a surprise that I'm going to give this a P10. And this is only the second time that I've given a double-digit number to a season one episode so far, the other one being Parliament of Dreams. And you might also be wondering, well, if it's my favorite of season one, why not a P11 or P12? That's because even the best of season one is nothing compared to some of the stuff we get in seasons two through four and maybe a little bit in season five. Uh, so I've got to reserve some of those 11s and 12s for later. Okay, okay. I am actually right there with you. So far, this oh, is a um, so far my favorite episode of, of the season. Oh, we're we're I still feel like we're young into it, you know. But I, we're approaching the halfway mark. Um, but yeah, it got a P ten for me as well. So this was a this was a good fun episode. Lots going on. Lots of lots happening, um, and it was just very solid. Um, Probably could have got a P11, but we didn't even get Dolan in it at all. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, this is one of the episodes that she was not in, but um, but it still was pretty cool. And uh, so yeah, P10. Um, so we get to now move into our spoiler zone. And for those who know Babylon 5, there's this overact, you know, overreaching arc that covers the whole thing. Um, some of it you know, for all five seasons. So when we get into our spoilers, we start talking about some of those things that we'll come back to in the future and, and how they might spoil things. So we give an opportunity for you guys as a listeners to bail out and take a break and come back after you've watched the whole series and come back and listen to us some more. Um, so before we do that, though, I'll ask you to please give us a rating on whatever device or, or platform you listen to your podcast. Um, maybe send us a question on our uh, platform through Anchor, and or you can also just reach out to us through email. We're found at discerninglurkers at gmail.com on our website the discerning portals podcast and uh, yeah the discerning geeks portal oh there we go and on twitter at discerning geeks so we would love to hear from you and get your impression on these and any other episodes or just even how you think we're doing as a podcast anything we could approve on or do better we would love to hear from you and with that 
for those that want to bail out, we will say sayonara and see you on the flip side. Those that want to hear some spoilers, hang out with us for just a little bit longer. Have a good evening. Yeah, thank you for listening. All right, all right. This one's kind of a spoiler, but I think you kind of even... It it may not be, but... um, You said we do get a little bit more of whatever it was that they got from Talia Winters or not? Well, it's mentioned in the Larry Dottilio section that supposedly... I wrote in my notes that supposedly we get more in season two. I don't remember off the top of head what that could be. So yeah, in spoiler zone, I actually asked the question, will we get more of it in the future? <laughs> so I, I don't know if maybe I took those notes from something Larry Dottilio said about his script and maybe he's mistaken or if there really is something and I'm just not remembering. Um, we definitely get to see more of Talia winners and her in, increasing her power as suggested by the mind war episode, uh-huh. uh, you know, Jason Ironheart gives her a, a gift. And so she develops a little bit of telepathy and, and stronger, stronger telepathy and also a little bit of telekinesis. But I can't remember if any of the, the stuff that is recorded in the data crystal comes up later. There might maybe be in some lines of dialogue and explanation as to maybe those images that we saw that maybe she was attacked uh, or who may have been attacking her in that I- image, but I just, I just don't remember off the top of my head. Okay, okay. Well, uh, some oh, sorry, of that ahead. plot gets a little messed up because we don't have Talia Winters for the whole arc. Okay, that's what I was getting ready to say. Is that Andrea Thompson, the actress, left the show part way through season two, and because of that, we were probably meant to get more on her later and didn't and i think that that's what the whole recording from the vicar was supposed to be it was because when when she does leave the show and um patricia tallman comes back she was the one who played lita alexander in the pilot movie once she comes back and becomes a recurring and eventually a main character Uh, she kind of takes up the role as the telepath that has a relationship with Kosh and, uh, and with the Vorlons in general. And originally Talia Winters was probably meant for that role. And that's, that's why I I kind of hinted earlier that this whole Vicar thing was probably a test and a scan to see if she was suitable for the role. um, When later it went to leader for different reasons. Okay. Okay. That, that kind of makes sense. I mean, it's part of the kind of neat things about Babylon 5 that you and I have talked about many times that one of the things we love is this overall arching arc that this mm-hmm. story was written for five years, that JMS had a lot of things planned. Um, but then you've mentioned in the past, he had kind of like a gate pods or something for certain things. Trapdoors. Trapdoors if things didn't work out. Um, and sadly, I think kind of with Talia Winters, the actress not being there, you know, for the whole thing, I think some of that was activated. And so I think it's yeah. it makes sense that we may have some loose ends that don't get completely explored the way that they should be. Um and it's kind of a shame because I kind of feel like this would have been a a stronger episode if that whole interaction did really lead to something meaningful in the future. Yeah, yeah. You know, the whole episode would have been, you know, oh, man, you know, not only do we get this, but we also get this interaction between Gosh and, and the telepath and, and look what it led to. But sadly, it kind of just ends up being a, a really weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's also part of the reason that I didn't like Mind War as much as I am probably supposed to. Right. I mean, it, it was still a yeah. good episode, but it's probably meant to be a great episode. And yeah, it doesn't really go. Some of that either. stuff just never got to develop the way that it should have. So yeah. that's, that's, it happens. And it's cool that he was able to still continue and do things in such a way 
that it's just not completely awkward. Too too often, I think, if somebody like a key character like that left a show, it, it would just spoil half of what they had going on. But the hmm. fact that he was able to build in some trapdoors, the the whole show was able to go, and and we could kind of fit other people into some roles that worked out. So it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is a shame. I think there probably was more there. Um, any questions I should ask? It seems almost kind of odd that. Like like you said, that there wasn't a little bit of pushback against the Vorlons, especially for them being pretty, you know, Kosh basically saying, I did this to keep you guys from having immortality. Um, you would kind of think that that would almost hurt relationships a little bit. But I don't know. That we, we don't see any kind of decline. I mean, now the Vorlons aren't exactly buddy-buddy with any of the races anyways they're kind of very standoffish and doing their own thing i don't know we don't we don't get any pushback from that you know hey i just robbed you guys of immortality what do you think of that you know uh none of that kind of plays out in the future does it no and you know i kind of hinted at the the concept that nobody really files a complaint or messes with them or if they do they do it off camera and that doesn't go anywhere either um, it makes me wonder how much races knew about the Vorlons ahead of time, because clearly nobody knows that much about them and they're very mysterious, but did people, is there still common knowledge amongst most alien races and humans too, that the Vorlons are just simply not to be messed with? The Minbari know more about them and we'll see more of that later. So they might know, and maybe they've told people, Hey, don't mess with the Vorlons. Or maybe enough races have tried to send probes or ambassadors or something to Vorlon and gotten them smacked down that they're like, okay, don't mess with them. And, and um, I'm guessing that has to be the case because, like I said, nobody had an immediate reaction either. Yeah. Everybody's just kind of like, oh, well, I guess that's over <laughs> with. Uh, nobody was even angry about it. So, yeah, I, I guess, I guess as, as mysterious as the Vorlons are, they've shown themselves just enough to let everybody know not to mess with them. Yeah. Okay. Anything else, anything else big out of this episode that kind of, we need to tie into anything coming up or that we've already talked about? Well, this is also kind of related to both the Vorlons and the telepaths. So I mentioned earlier that line near the end where Sinclair says that the Vorlons are leery of telepaths. Yeah. And I said, I thought that was strange. Do you want me to tell you why I think that's strange? Because it's kind of a medium-sized bombshell, too. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me what Tell me what we got going on here. Okay, and maybe you know this already. But the Vorlons actually created telepaths. Oh, no, I don't know that I do that. Because think about it. In most science fiction, it's usually the aliens or mutants that have telepaths. Uh, like in Star Trek, yeah. uh, Vulcans have at least a little bit of telepathy, but it's mostly through the mind meld. Uh, the uh, oh my goodness, uh, uh, not Ben Zite. Oh my goodness, what uh, Betazoid? Betazoid, yeah, uh, Betazoids in Star Trek: The Next Generation. They are telepathic and empathic, and but they're even though they look human, they're still technically an alien race. They're from another planet. Well, here, even humans have telepathy. And obviously, we don't always have telepathy. We don't have telepathy now. So it has to spring up at some point. It is through direct intervention through the Vorlons. That might be explored further in the telepath trilogy of novels. And I'll be honest, that's one trilogy that I didn't, I don't even think I made it all the way through the first book. I read the uh, Centauri Prime trilogy and the Telepath Trilogy, but I didn't make it through the, the Telepath Trilogy. Todd said Telepath Trilogy twice. He meant to say he made it through the Technomage Trilogy, not Telepath Trilogy. So I don't know if that's explained further there. I kind of doubt it, but maybe so. I'm not, I'm not sure. So they created the Telepath for all the different races? Y- yes, I, I think so. Um 
I don't know if any of the races got them naturally or not. Um, because I know we found that, out that the Narns don't have telebaths, but I think that was because something in the past where they were all killed off or something, right? Right. Yeah, they don't have them now, but they did. Yeah. Okay. I thought I remembered that, that they had them. Um, so it wasn't, so it could be that they were given the same opportunity, but for some reason didn't. Uh, so, so going back to the, the the whole Leary thing, I'm wondering if the Vorlons staying away from the telepaths is basically their way of trying to make it look like they didn't. In the oh, telepaths. I got gotcha. you. Uh, you know, pretend to be afraid of them when really we're the ones who created them. That type of thing. It, it, it's just another bit of ops, uh, op, obfuscation. Is that the right word? Op, obfuscating. Um, you, you know, pretending like put, yeah. putting up a an illusion, sort of, just like their encounter suit. Okay. Okay. Anything else that we need to kind of talk about for this episode before we call it an evening? I think that might be it. Okay. Well, I know we ran long on this one. We're going, we're going to get there. <laughs> um, but we appreciate you guys hanging out with us and, and listening to us talk about these episodes as we explore Babylon 5 and rewatch all these episodes. And we hope that you come back next week where we'll be talking about the episode Believers. And I think this is one that you're not as hyped about. Well, <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. Um, yeah, it's, since it's a spoiler section, not everybody's going to hear it anyway. Uh, yeah, just to give you a preview, I've sometimes mentioned how I love Babylon 5 so much that I really only had seven episodes that I disliked, and now only six. This is the one that just barely, by by a half a millimeter worked its way up into the barely like it category it used to be one of my least favorites and I, because there are some terrible things in that episode but there are also some amazing things in that episode and I think I was just kind of ignoring or not appreciating those better aspects enough and every time I've watched that episode I dislike it a little less and so it has crawled its way up. And uh, so, yeah, there is definitely a lot to talk about in that episode, just like there was a lot to talk about in this one, both good and bad. Sounds good. Sounds good. I can't wait till we can talk about that next week. I hope you guys listening come back and we'll hear with us and we'll enjoy that together. Todd, it's been a pleasure to our yep. listeners. Thanks for being on board with us and going on this trip through Babylon 5. We'll catch you next time. Yeah, thank you for listening. <laughs>